Hey, David Nagel here. I'm not sure if you've ever heard the story, but in 1993, it was the year that I attended my very first personal development seminar, and I can't even believe that was over 30 years ago. 3,000 people seeking personal freedom, including me, filled into a convention space, hoping that something would happen to give us a breakthrough that we had been looking for. It was a Tony Robbins seminar, and I can honestly say that attending that seminar was one of the biggest turning points in my life. Something fantastic happened while I was there. I began to see my purpose. Who would have thought that an ex-McDonald's employee, an uneducated forklift driver, would attend a seminar that would change the trajectory of his life forever? Well, it wasn't me. And yet, here I am, a multi-million dollar business owner against all odds. And that's why I want to invite you to join me virtually and live from the comfort of your own home or office to make 2024 your best year ever. I want to help you get the breakthrough that you're looking for. On June 26th through the 28th, I'm going to take you on a three-day journey to uncover the key belief that's keeping you from achieving the success that you desire and what you can do about it right now. The hidden messages in your secret thoughts and what they're trying to tell you. How to take your power back from fear, worry, and doubt so that you can make solid, confident decisions. How to set a goal and then reverse engineer its achievement. Right now, we're offering some really great cash back bonuses on our lowest ticket price, but the price will increase very soon. Go to lifeisnowinc.com forward slash summit for all the details and to secure your spot. I'm offering you a defining moment, just like I had all those years ago. Will you take it? Okay, now on to this episode of the Successful Mind Podcast. I think the biggest learning has been to this point that it's okay to make mistakes. I had to unlearn a lot of bad habits. So I was still acting like I had a job yeah. as an entrepreneur. And, and I had so many things I had to get over. I, you know, I was getting over perfectionism and it was hampering my creativity. So one of the, the most amazing learnings that I got from you was number one, faith, to really build that faith. And it was also, you know, truly to have fun and experiment. Because if, as long as I was strict with myself about what I was putting out, I wasn't, I wasn't stretching. I wasn't trusting that inner knowing about what my clients needed, what the next step was. And so I really went from a very rigid view of my business to something extraordinarily expansive. You're listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. Successful people learn how to make their minds work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. For 
Suzanne, it is really great to see you in person. It's great to see you. How are you doing? I'm great, David. I'm so happy to be here with you. That's awesome. Listen, why don't we set the stage for everybody that's going to watch this? Tell them a little, about, a little bit about who you are and what you do. My name is Roseanne Austin, and I'm the creator of the Fearlessly Fertile Method. I help women that are struggling with fertility. I help them through the power of mindset to finally get and stay pregnant. And how long have you been doing that for? Nine years. Nine years. And tell everybody what you did before that. <laughs> I was a prosecutor. Specifically, I was prosecuting sexual assault cases. And it's through my own struggle with fertility that I found myself in this place. Give us a little synopsis of what that journey looked like for you, because that's that's a that's a little bomb you're throwing in there. Okay, you're a prosecutor, and now you're way on the other side of that. How, what was that little journey that you took there to get there? So it was interesting because when I met and married my husband, I was already in my mid-30s. And somewhere along the line, I picked up this idea that having a baby in your late 30s was hard. I picked up this belief system that it was hard. And when we started to try to have our family, it just wasn't working. And so I immediately went ballistic, A-bomb. I'm a lead trial attorney. I'm going to solve this problem. So I went out and I started doing every treatment, diet, lotion, potion, spray. Like I would do anything to try to get and stay pregnant, but nothing was working. And what I did was just try to work harder. I tried to pound the problem with medicine. I was going to a top 10 teaching hospital. Like they, there was nothing for me. And at 37, they told me I needed donor eggs, that there was really no hope for me. Really? And so at that point, I just started, I kept working harder. I thought I could outwork the problem. But what I didn't notice was the problem was me. So you didn't know that the problem was you. How did you find out the problem was you? Well, what was interesting is it, the problem was not me physically because right, right. it was mentally because my diet was immaculate. I was sparing no expense. I was driving hundreds, if not thousands of miles a week while being a lead trial attorney to anybody that could try to heal me. But what I realized was I didn't believe I could have it all, David. I really thought it was greedy. It was selfish uh, to want to have a child on top of having the love of my life, a successful career, achievement of all kind respects in the community i thought that deep down i was not worthy and i had no idea i had no idea and then what i hit rock bottom basically i remember the exact moment when i realized it was me and i had just gotten the verdict in a super high profile rape case i got a call from the courtroom they said your verdict is in i went in and took my verdict Shortly after that, I got a call from the fertility clinic that my most recent IVF had failed. And I can still feel the cold wall on my back, leaning up against the wall, saying that, what has happened in my life? Like here, I'm achieving all this stuff professionally, but I can't do a biological basic. And the facade that I had on the exterior, I mean, I had everything together perfectly tailored suits, Hermes scarves, Manolo Blahniks. Like, I looked like I was on top of the world. Yeah. But inside, I felt like a giant imposter. And when I realized that my diet was clean, I was taking supplements, I was doing all these crazy regimens, I never looked at me. 
and my sense of worthiness. And when I started to take a look at that, I was... Well, like, hang on, hang on. That's still a jump. We <laughs> we got to cross that jump. Here's something that I find very interesting, being in the mindset industry, right? Mindset's always the last thing, and it usually comes at the prompting of someone else in our life or something else. Because we've been taught cause and effect is all about doing, 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 right? Hence your, uh, you know, your hard work ethic. This is what I'm going to do. Let's go the scientific biological route. This is what's going to make this happen. What caused you to start thinking about mindset? There was a voice in me that just kept saying, no, that's not me. So it was an internal voice. It was internal. And I didn't know what to do with it because all the white coats were telling me there's no hope for you. And I remember sitting in an office one time, a doctor's office, and I just, I was almost catatonic because I was like, this is not me. This can't be me. I don't, this does not feel true. Yeah. But I didn't know what to do with it because the experts knew. Exactly. And, and I was like, well, I went to law school, not medical school. What the hell do I know? But I knew. I really did know. And it was a leap because I... That's why I was mentioning that I hit rock bottom because there was nowhere else for me to go, David. There really was nowhere else for me to go. And I had to look inward. And when I started looking, I started discovering some things that I had no idea. I, I thought my self-worth was going to be from the external achievements and all the letters that were coming after my name. But none of that was dealing with the, the struggle that I had with my own self-worth. So was it a gradual progress process that you started looking inside? I'm still not getting, what was the thing that caused you to go, oh, there's something going on with me and then explore that as a route to your own healing? Yeah. I think what it really was, was just getting to the point where I'm like, what else? I have done everything physically. I have done everything physically. What else is there? And then the trial attorney in me basically said, well, where's the hole? Where's the hole? So like the all the the legal training and the trial strategy kind of kicked in. And I'm like, oh, wait, what's this? It's I was looking at the way that I was thinking. So essentially, I would go into treatments believing it would fail because it couldn't possibly work for me. And then when I started making that connection, like what was different? How was I showing up? And that was a place I didn't want to look because it meant that I was responsible. And the idea of me personally, not physically being responsible, but me personally being responsible, that brought up a lot of stuff for me. And I didn't want to look at it at first. Did you know that by looking at it, that this could change for you? No. Okay. No. I'm interested in hearing that. Yeah. That also. I didn't know that it could change because here's the story that I had running in my mind. I'm a lead trial attorney. I went to law school. I've been on every honor roll. I am a doer. I am an achiever. I don't need any of that woo-woo mindset nonsense because that's for tree huggers. I don't have time for that. I got a trial next week and I have to have a baby in the next nine months. You know what I mean? Like it was that, it was that kind of experience and it was a horrific lack of humility, which I can say smiling now, but back then it was very, it was shocking for me. I I wouldn't have thought I was, you know, a not humble person, but it took some humility to be willing to really look at me because the exterior said I was achieving, but inside I didn't feel that way at all. So once you started to realize that this was going to be an internal journey, what was that like? I didn't know where to start. 
I didn't know where to start because that's not what I learned at home. I learned that get good grades, do what you're told, get a good government job, you'll yeah. be safe. And looking at myself and looking at my own mindset felt very unsafe. I didn't have mentorship at the time. You know, I'd listen to certain things, but I didn't, I just wanted somebody to show me how. Gotcha. How did you get start on that route then? So I started to read books and because that's what I knew. That's that was my yeah. fear. I was gonna try to educate myself through it. But I kept running up against my own limitations. Like I remember reading a few things. I think I, I looked at a Tony Robbins thing and and I was like, that's a little rah-rah for me. That's that guy seems, you know, yeah. out there. And and then some things seemed a little too what I called tree hugging. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. it was inaccessible to me. There was no, there was nothing speaking to me at my level. So it was either extremely woo woo or extremely bro, and it didn't speak to me. <laughs> yeah. But slowly over time, I'd listen to podcasts and different things, and slowly started to take in this information. And then I'm like, what my thoughts lead to my results and at first i thought that was like blaming me for where i was so i was and i didn't the funny thing about this david i didn't know i was in victimhood i represented victims i was not a victim but i was bathing i was drenched in victimhood and i had no idea that was the other thing that made trying to figure mindset out on my own so difficult because i didn't see myself as a victim yeah but I was. Do you remember the moment when you realized that, that you were actually a victim of yourself? I discover new layers daily, okay. David. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have the humility to say that now. Um, Is that it, the safe answer? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah it, was, it, it was definitely eye-opening. It was heartbreaking at times. And I rejected it for a long time until I started looking at my behavior Everything I had been doing on my fertility journey, as well as personally, was based in fear. Wow, one hundred percent. I mean, yeah. even look at the look at the field that I chose. It's all fear based, right? You know, I had a conversation not that long ago with some other attorneys, and it was just a completely different mindset back then. Like I, I have a lot of compassion for that version of me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you have to. You have to. Yeah. So once you started down this route of um, healing, okay, healing your mindset, healing your past, how long did it take you before you got pregnant? It, I was, the first time was about three weeks. Three weeks? Three weeks. And I didn't carry that baby to term, but what that showed me is that I could have an impact on something they told me I could not. And I was like, I, I was like, just shaking my husband i'm like this is what happened yeah this is what happened i actually had an impact because i had was preparing for my last what turned out to be my last ivf cycle with our last embryos and i had been taking in this information i had been making a conscious effort to to watch what i was thinking about how i walked into the fertility clinic how i greeted people instead of slinking in in shame you know i really started to to change what was going on on the inside, at least notice it. Right. It's rudimentary, but I was noticing it. 
And that was the first time I got pregnant. And instead of letting that destroy me, because I would have thought that if I got finally got pregnant and I lost the baby, I would have been in a mental hospital. If I was still in victimhood, yeah. I would have been there. But I That's a good point. I had one toe in in my power and that was enough. And when I was going through the miscarriage, I kept just kept telling myself, I know something bigger is coming for me. I don't know what it is. I know something is bigger. And now I know that I can. And so instead of using that miscarriage to destroy myself, I actually used it to feel more confident. Yeah, that was that was that is that, that we well, that is like night and day, right? It's a total night. That's a total law of polarity flip. Yes. Right? Yes. Oh, thank goodness for the law of polarity. That is that is definitely. I mean, learning that has utterly transformed the way that I live my life. And then, how long before you got pregnant again? So it was funny because, and people ask me this all the time. They ask, "Well, what made you stop treatment? Because you were already forty, and and what was it?" And I got to tell you, it was. That moment where I chose, it was a conscious choice. Yeah. It was absolutely conscious. I, I probably would not have been able to explain it fully the way that I can now, but I made the conscious choice. No, I know this baby is coming for me. And when I really just made that decision to believe that, just believe, yeah. two years later, at almost 43, I got pregnant naturally and I had my son at almost 44. Wow. I had a symptomless pregnancy. He was he is like an ox. He is perfectly healthy. It was just everything I had imagined it would be. And I remember the day David I purposely drove past one of the fertility clinics that I went to. I'm like, "Look at this. See, look at this baby in the back." You know, after they had told me like, "Give up." Yeah. And it was such it unleashed this thing in me. And I made the decision that I wanted to share with other women what I had learned because that industry is rife with fear. It's women can feel boxed in by statistics, their yeah. age. I yeah. was more fertile. Desperation too, really. Yeah. 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 I mean, the reality is, David, I was more fertile in my 40s than I was in my 30s because of the way I was thinking. Say that one more time. I was more fertile in my 40s than I was in my 30s, undergoing rounds and yep. rounds of expensive treatments. I was more fertile in my 40s than I was in my 30s, 100% because of what I believed. That's incredible. It is. I mean, I am. it's today in my work, I've helped women from ages 28 to 52 get pregnant using what I learned. Then you start feeling it in your heart that you want to help other women. Yes. And actually, even before, I was so jazzed by what I had learned. I was beginning to teach women even before I had my son. So my faith was big enough that if I could get to this place, I yeah. was just a few steps ahead of other people that I could share what I knew. And that's what I did. But it went, it was completely ovaries to the wall. <laughs> once once I had my son and I was I saw my clients I saw people around me applying what I had taught and sure. what I had learned and it just exploded is that when you decided to turn it into a business yes and that's interesting that you went from just let me help these people like I, I have a business here I have an opportunity here to do something with this right right 
So after you turn it into a business, you're going down this journey. What, where in this journey did you meet me? I had been stalking you online for some time. I had, I had heard of your work and I was still like as much, as much as I had seen how mindset was, had worked in my life, I still had a little bit of that DIY syndrome going on. Like I had worked with other coaches, which was great, but I knew that working with you would take it into the stratosphere. So there was a little bit in me that was like, am I ready for this? Am I ready for this? And and I kept, oh, you know, I'll, I'll listen to this or I'll listen to that. But when we met, my business was at a place where I was already doing multiple six figures. But what I knew I wanted was not only to be the best in my industry, but I knew I wanted to take it into the multiple millions. That's awesome. Since we've been working together, what do you, what do you think the, the, the biggest learning and transformation has been during that time? I think the biggest learning has been to this point that it's okay to make mistakes. I had to unlearn a lot of bad habits. So I was still acting like I had a job yeah. as an entrepreneur. And, and I had so many things I had to get over. I, you know, I was getting over perfectionism and it was hampering my creativity. So one of the, the most amazing learnings that I got from you was number one, faith, to really build that faith. And it was also, you know, truly to have fun and experiment because if as long as I was strict with myself about what I was putting out, I wasn't, I wasn't stretching. I wasn't trusting that inner knowing about what my clients needed, what the next step was. And so I really went from a very rigid view of my business to something extraordinarily expansive and and being able to serve people at a higher level and and doing it with joy and not constantly agonizing over whether or not it was good enough knowing that what i was putting out in the world was good enough was was critical and then i think another thing that was really important was having compassion for myself yes that you can be extraordinarily successful i'll never forget when you said success is easy and everything in me was like no it's not david <laughs> you know but what i but i was making it hard yeah. i was making it hard so being able to take that ownership over my vision and and actually have a vision that was the other thing yeah i thought just having a written goal like a number or a number of people served was the goal i think you also really taught me to look at it from a more complete perspective really look at how do i want to live on a daily basis what really makes me happy and 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 what do you want uh, allowing yourself to want what you want that was a big thing that we went through yes yes and it's being i mean it's what do you want is the most annoying and compelling question yes, i think you could pose to it somebody is. it's annoying because it's like well you're making me think and but i think that over time that's another one of the gifts from working with you is getting extremely comfortable with what I want, not apologizing for it. I'm wearing some of it now. So tell everybody, what was the first thing that you told me that you wanted? And you and we had to really work on that for you to get to the place where you had to make it okay. So I was in Miami 
and we were on a family vacation. And I noticed all of these New Yorkers were, were in this hotel where we were staying and every one of them had a Rolex. And I remember looking and thinking, oh, that's so beautiful. I want one. But then I could hear a voice in my head saying, who spends that kind of money on a watch? And I could feel myself recoiling. Like it was this one foot on the gas, one foot on the brake. One minute I wanted it, the next minute I was shaming myself. And I remember texting you, telling you, David, I see something that I really, really want. And and just and kind of almost whispering, like I didn't even tell my husband what I wanted. Yeah. You know, I was I didn't tell anybody but you. And I remember you texted me back and you said, go buy one. And I was like, huh? What? And I kind of like, I shouldn't have told David because then I'm going to have to do it. But what it unleashed in me was this, oh my gosh, I can have what I want. Yeah. And I don't have to be embarrassed about it. I don't have to feel shame. And just, and I, so I looked all over Miami where we were in Ball Harbor. They were all sold out. You couldn't get a watch. And I was like, no. I gave my word to David. I am, be, and this is for me. Like right. I'm doing this for me. It was. It became less about the item, David, than it became about: Am I willing to go the distance for what I say that I want? Right. Did I want it bad enough? Did I want it bad enough to look up where every Rolex dealer was between Miami and Jacksonville? Yeah. And I did. I remember. And we ended up stopping in Orlando. I walked in, and the woman at the Rolex boutique was like oh yeah i can totally order that for you and i looked around i'm like this is the moment this is the moment this is i am either going to go back to my old ways or i'm going to be the woman that i say that i want to be and so i handed her my credit card i, I think my hand was shaking when i did that uh -huh. and i just handed her the credit card she gave me the receipt i texted you a picture of the receipt and there it was and it was in my hands as she had promised Six months later, right before Christmas, I got my diamond Rolex, and now I can't stop buying them. <laughs> How many do you have? I've got two. You got two. Yeah, I got two, but I'm like, but so you're a watch woman. Watch I'm a girl. watch. I'm a watch girl, but I'm also a bag girl. I have Chanel bags, like I could swim in them, and but it it really was letting go of the shame. I love beautiful things. Yeah, and I get to do that. I get to do that. I get to do it without shame and I get to do it my way. Right. And that's also how I operate my business. I encourage my clients to do the same. Right. And then we went through the same thing with your house. Yeah. 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 I, I went from a, a pretty nice track home in Idaho yeah. to a $3 million house in behind a gate in a beautiful Texas neighborhood. And it is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's the idea that that I couldn't have those things or that those things were shameful just completely dropped off the map for me. So what's the vision going forward? Where are you going next? Where we are going next is I'm writing my fourth book and I'm super excited about that. And we're expanding our reach. We are really working on improving our media presence. Uh, we, I have a very specific goal over the next 10 years. I have an, the intent to help 100,000 women get and stay pregnant oh, in the next 10 years. And it is my goal for every woman I come into contact with that is struggling in this area 
to let go of the shame, let go of the guilt, and allow herself to have exactly what she wants. Because I get to hold my son today and watch him grow because I was willing to believe in my dream. Yeah. And to trust myself and to have faith for that dream. And I want other women to have that same experience. That's amazing. That's fantastic. Good for good for you. I'm so happy for you. Thank you, David. I could not have done it without you and your mentorship. You know, when I think about just the influence that you've had in my life and helping me live the way I want to live in a balanced and fun way and having a heart for service and yeah. giving, it's just what you have helped me do in my life is immeasurable. And it not only has impacted my life, it's impacting my family's life. So your work has not only influenced my business, we've grown 39% in the past year. Incredible. So we went from making a million to multiple millions, but it is changing the way I raise my son. So that Fear, lack, scarcity, self-doubt is not going to be the curse on our family tree anymore. Wow. Generational change. Generational change. If you're gonna you, if you're gonna go, go big. Absolutely. And that's what happens when you work with David Nagel. <laughs> Roseanne, thanks for doing this with me today. It's gonna help a lot of people change their lives. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, David. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. If you like what you heard and you want to learn more, go to lifeisnowinc.com. I'll see you next week.